From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 60th episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. And I am the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And as always, we have another amazing, amazing guest. Uh, we have Olivia Nunn. I have known her for about four years now, and I am so honored that we finally had the opportunity to link up and do this show. So welcome to Stories of Service, Olivia. Thank you so much, Teresa, for the chance to be on your show. And um, yeah, super excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on here. Like I said, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, we've been crossing paths within the podcast space. Uh, we've been part of a, a, the same, uh, the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium. And I've just been such a fan of her work uh, for so many years. And as I approach my time to transition, she's been somebody that I've really watched and admired and looked up to as somebody who has really just set the stage for a graceful uh, transition from the military and who continues to give back to others. So again, she's an Army Public Affairs Officer. She's a podcast host, military influencer, communication executive, and she's a staunch advocate in the areas of veterans care and mental health. And as I said in my show notes, there's nothing that this amazing trailblazer cannot do. And she is the executive director of communications with a demonstrated history of over 10 years working in the government relations industry. She's the CEO of Olivia Nunn Communications, LLC. She's a change agent leader who delivers key workforce objectives about diversity, equality, and inclusion. She's also currently the executive director of Work Play Obsession All In Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to the military community of healing the invisible wounds of trauma. Additionally, Olivia serves as the host of the Military Officers Association of America's Never Stop Serving podcast series. Notably, she retired after 20 years of dedicated service in the United States Army as an Army Public Affairs Officer and Soldier for Life podcast host. She was commissioned as an ROTC military graduate through Radford University ROTC program in 2001. She holds a Bachelor's of Business Administration in Management from Radford University, Radford, Virginia, and a Master's of Science in Environmental Management from Webster University, and a Master of Professional Studies in Public Relations and Corporate Communications from Georgetown University. Thank you so much for joining me, and I can't wait to get started with this podcast. Thank you so much. And thanks for those kind words. Um, you know, I just was uh, very fortunate to get to do some cool things in uh, what I, you know, I, I think I'm just a little biased in the best service of all the branches in the United States Army. You know, I know you're with the Navy, but, you know, in my house, we think go <laughs> Army beat Navy. Um, but, you know, very fortunate that I've got to meet so many amazing people such as yourself across the breadth of work that um, I was able to do while I was in. So thank you again for the opportunity to share on your show. Absolutely. And, and we're not only, um, you know, fellow military members who serve together. We also are both members of the public military public affairs community. So yes. we, we share we share that in common as well. And it, it's just neat to have this tie with you, Olivia. So the first thing I always 
start off with, and I always love to know about the guests that I interview is, you know, where are you from and why did you join the service? So I grew up in Washington state and I decided to join because my dad served in the army and I knew since the age of four that I wanted to be in the army because that's what my dad did. He was a combat engineer and I had no idea what I was going to do in the army just other than that's what my dad did and that's what I was going to do. He was enlisted and the one thing that my dad was adamant about, you know, if anything that you know is that I'm first generation Korean American and in the um, Asian community, it's all about education. And my parents stressed to me is that you will go to college. And with that, my dad was like, you're going to be an officer. Again, I had no idea what that meant other than, okay, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be an officer and I'm going to be in the army. Um, mm -hmm. What that meant in terms of what I was going to do in the army, how long I was going to serve. I had no idea. I just knew that I was going to be in the army because my dad served and, and I thought that um, it was going to be cool to be a soldier, you know, why not? Right, right. So when you joined uh, the army as an officer, did you start off in public affairs or did you lack, do a transfer from another community? I did. I started off as a CBRN. It's a total mouthful, chemical, <laughs> biological, radiological, nuclear officer. Um, so in other words, that particular career field is we did everything else other than what we learned to do, which is a good thing, right? Uh, we are reactive uh staff officer so if a chemical officer is actually doing what they were trained to do that means something really bad happened on the battlefield <laughs> so we became the jack of all trade and that allowed me to hone my skills as a staff officer as a planner and that allowed me to do things for the commander uh, that i probably would have not done elsewise I spent 20 years in the combat arms world uh, and that allowed me to say, hey, coach or commander, put me in. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because personality wise, I was not the typical chemical officer that sat in the corner and, and took whatever crappy assignment. Um, mm -hmm. I was going to be that chemical officer that said, hey, I want to do what everybody else is going to do. And in fact, I want to do it better, faster than the guy next to me. Because in combat arms, you know, oftentimes I was the only woman on that staff or in that crew. And I felt like I always had to come in and prove that I was a valid member of that team, whether that was uh, real or that was something that um, I felt. And so I wanted to prove that, you know, I, I'm going to have a seat at this table. So I'm going to learn what it is that I'm supposed to do on this, on this team. And um, I got to do some amazing things. Wow, that's that's outstanding. You know, as I was listening to your story, I think that the people who start off in another field before they start telling the military story, I think really gives people um, a leg up as a communicator. Because like you said, you learn how to speak as an operator, you learn how to jump in, be the jack of all trades, learn how to do all these different things in the army. So by the time that you got to a place where now you were communicating about the military story, you could, you could draw like I could as an aviation electrician's mate or surface warfare officer, I could draw upon these experiences that I'd had as a, as in, in your case, as a soldier, as I, as, as a sailor. And it, it really, I think makes a huge difference. And, and I'm curious, was there any lessons or anything that you carried over into your communications career that you saw in your previous career 
that helped you as a communicator? I think almost everything that I did in that previous 10 years was very applicable as a storyteller because, you know, as I say, where the rubber meets the road, right? I mm -hmm. could draw upon all those experiences, you know, because I was a convoy commander, because I spent time in aviation, uh, because I was a platoon leader, because I was a troop commander, all those experiences, all those lessons learned, the good, the bad, the indifferent, help me understand where those stories really mattered. And so when I crafted those messages on behalf of the army, it allowed me to emotionally tap into those messages. It allowed me to understand, not from a strategic understanding, but from an emotional and tactical perspective. You know, yes, this is what the strategic level army wants me to to put out but mm -hmm. at the same time you know what is it that the soldier and the family members what do they really need to hear what is it that they're going to get from this messaging and trying to put myself in their boots if you will and you know something that my my father told me when i first joined the army is that because you know he was enlisted is olivia always make sure that every decision that you make that you make it from the place of taking care of your soldiers. If you always take care of your soldiers, the rest will, will work itself out. And so I took that same notion throughout my whole career and I tried to make sure that I tried to put that notion in storytelling and writing messages throughout the armies that if I place taking care of them first, them being the soldiers, then everything else were, would work itself out. And I think as a leader, it's easier said than done. And that's the lesson as a leader is that every decision that you're making is that you're trying to make the best decision for the whole and not the individual. And that is what you're trying to convey as a leader and as a communicator is that this decision is not for the individual, but for the whole. And you're hoping that the decision that you're making is the best choice. And sometimes, you know, that decision that you're making isn't necessarily the most popular decision. And, um, you know, leadership is a very lonely place, especially when you're a woman in a very male dominated space and then in a combat arms unit on top of that. Um, but at the same time, I think there's so many lessons that I learned that I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for. And I look back on my time saying, yep, I did that. Yeah, you have so much to be proud of, Olivia. And I think that when you're in that position, like you said, it can be very lonely and it can be very draining. But those things that are so lonely and so draining are also so very fulfilling. And those challenges you can constantly draw upon for as a source of strength. And I'm curious, as we move on to your communications career, and so, and, and as you were increasing in these leadership positions, uh, what would you say was your your biggest challenge as a leader? And then how did you work to overcome it? You know, I think it's the perception of being a woman, right? You have so many times just entering a room, um, that notion of, you know, women shouldn't be here or, um, you don't have the skills to be here. Uh, you know, not that every, let me caveat saying that not every single man that I worked with believed in that 
or that every single man believed that women shouldn't be in the military. I, I had plenty of men that I worked with that believed that women were capable and believed in me and gave me the opportunity. You know, General Funk, who just recently retired, was my brigade commander and gave me the opportunity to command an organization, that troop that wasn't originally given to a female. So, you know, there are men that believe that women can. But there are definitely, you know, a group that still believe that women can't. So you have that um, constant negativity that surround the notion that women can't. And then you have the bias toward, you know, this, the stature of who I am, right? I, you know, I'm, if, if you've never seen me, I'm five foot one on a good day. And, <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, uh, you know, I'm Korean American, like I said, you know, and I think there's this uh, bias about what Asians should be in terms of their personality. So you have this five foot one you know, Korean American that walks into the room and there's this belief mm. that, you know, I'm going to be this quiet, demure female mm -hmm. that's just going to sit in the corner and just take notes. And mm -hmm. <laughs> if you spent any time with me, that is not my personality. I'm super aggressive. I'm type A and I'm going to tell you how it's going to get done. And so I might be five foot one in stature, but my personality is not <laughs> five foot one. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, I, my personality is definitely, you know, a very aggressive. And I think the military helped me hone that aggression. Um, mm -hmm. and, and part of it is, uh, you know, I, I've said this to other people is a part of that honing that aggression was out of survival. I did that to survive and also to get work done out of mm -hmm. necessity. Um, when you have to make mission, when you have to move out, and when you're small and no one's going to see you or hear you, uh, you kind of have to move faster than everybody else. You know, when people walk with me, they're like, I don't understand how somebody so small as you can move so much faster than me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, I if I don't, I'm going to get hit in the head. <laughs> so I kind of have to move faster than you. Um, so, so I think it's that that negative persona or perception of who I am just by looking at me. So I have to come at you faster, harder, stronger than than what you think I can do. And and I think that's a constant struggle even outside of the military. It's 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 such a balance. And as um, I can't see the name of the person here, but they said you've got the heart of a lion. I mean. <laughs> You know, but and it's like one of those things where, it, you know, there's this weird balance, I think, as women, because on the one hand, we're kind of expected to be nice and we're expected to 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 please. Like, I always feel like there is a lot of pressure to people, please. Yeah. And I'm not and, and you and I are both not people pleasers. And, and so it, 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 it's one of those things where, yes, you you want to you want to serve and you want to do what you can. But part of being a leader also means learning how to say no. And, yeah. and, and learning who you can say no to or, or what you have to prioritize first and then knowing that you're, you're never going to make everybody happy because something's going to have to drop and whatever drops to a lower priority might upset the person who's been dropped to the lower priority or the project that's, you know, not the most important thing to fight on first. And so um, I'm curious from your perspective, um, when you started getting into storytelling, what what do you think was like the way you were able to navigate 
the the pressure from leadership to be strategic with the heart that storytelling demands because i sometimes feel oh mark matters okay i don't know why it didn't come up as, as you not making that comment but what i was going to say is i just don't know how sometimes we bridge that as communicators where we tell them that the storytelling is the heart like you said the heart and soul is is that emotional connection with the audience but you have a lot of commanders who just want you to be so strategic and they want you to use all these big words that nobody understands or cares about. And so how did you bridge that when you were telling stories to show the heart and not necessarily all the big fancy buzzwords? So I, when I bridged over from being a, a chemical officer to being a PAO, I did that as a um, field grade officer. And I spent all of my time as a PAO at the strategic end of the army. So I did that at West Point and then at the Pentagon. So for me, you know, I was very fortunate to be a field grade officer versus a company grade officer. And I think with that, you have a little more leniency to use that, that rank to kind of push a little bit more. And I think with me, by the time I, you know, got comfortable with using the gifts of a PAO and then being a field grade officer, there was so much that was going on in our nation at the time. Um, you know, at, this was the time that we were going through um, women in combat roles, which, you know, I got to help write some of that strategic messaging. Um, we were doing military working dogs, we were doing um, religious accommodations, transgender in the military. And um, all of those things, I get to help pen a lot of the strategic communications on behalf of the army. I mean, it's not just, you know, at that time, major none, there was obviously a huge team, but behind the scenes, at the Office of Chief of the Army Public Affairs, I got to work a lot of those pieces. And then we're rolling into Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. And I think as these things were going along, you know, I also uh, became, you know, I was a mom, you know, I, I had, I became a mom as a, as a field grade officer. And then I had my second child. And I think when you become a mom and then all these strategic things are hitting and you're seeing the change in the military, I think something in you just snaps. And there's the writing on the wall that you see about your career and the trajectory of how the army is starting to shape. And I think I just took a step back and I just realized I'm either going to take a stand as a communicator and storyteller, or I'm going to keep worrying about my rank and career. And I thought for a minute, what did I sign up to be? in the army for? Why did I come into the army? And this is a question I always asked myself. And if you ask my partner, you know, he'll tell you I rant about this all the time. If the reason why most of us came into the military, the, the, the main reason, right, most of us came into the military is because we want to serve, we want to be part of a tribe that is bigger and better than us, right? We believe in a cause. But part of that cause is because it's about taking care of people right? We're leading a group, right? And the greatest gift is the sons and daughters of our nation. 
at, at you're leading them, right? Whether yeah. you're a team leader, a squad sure. leader, a platoon leader, or even the general. And if taking care of people isn't your thing, then get out. Yeah. And so when I asked myself that, what, what am I going to stand for? Am I more concerned about making the next rank or am I more concerned about the organization, which is the army? And so I just got angry. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start making sure that I'm doing my job right. And so I just got angry and said, you know what? I'm going to start making sure as a PAO, I'm going to make the leaders that I'm supposed to be working for think outside the box. And that is where I just started getting really gutsy and saying, hey, sir, ma'am, we have to take a step back and stop doing these cookie cutter messages and let's attack the problem set and have real conversations. Because here's the truth about the military. The officer rank is predominantly white and the enlisted rank is predominantly African-American. And let's be real. That's two different sides of the conversation, especially if you're talking about Black Lives Matter and about race. So if you're telling your officers to have a racial conversation about how they're feeling about Black Lives Matter, do you think they're really going to have a real conversation about that? No, they're not, because it's a hard conversation to have. So if you're not giving them the tools to have this conversation, what are they actually really going to do? And do you think that the lower enlisted are going to feel like their officers really care about them? Or do you think that's just lip service? They're going to say it's just lip service. So we have to have a real conversation about this, not this paid lip service about it. Mm -hmm. So I just started biting back. And a lot of times I got told to shut up and sit down, but I just <laughs> felt like that's what we're supposed to be doing. That is what I'm yep. being paid. That's our job. PAO, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Not this, here's my condolence letter. I'm so sorry. Like, screw that. I am a PAO and storyteller for a reason. And my job is for you to look yourself in the mirror and tell it like it is. It's authenticity. Right. And and I think that is uh, the important part. And I think I just kept hitting it like that. And and for me, that was the important part. And that's what I kept teaching the other PAOs as they were coming up through the ranks is you got to ask yourself, why are you a storyteller? And if you can't do it that way, then this isn't the career field for you. And it's so hard, Olivia, because I think that like when you talk about authenticity, especially as communicators, uh, there's there's so much, I think, pressure for us to just be behind the scenes and not be active on social media, not have a personality or a brand. And I, and I know you, you and I have talked about this before, that there's really a lot of pressure on on the public affairs community not to do the kinds of things that I do or that you were doing. And I, and I feel like the kind of commander that I want is somebody that wants to be uh, told the truth and, and wants to have an honest and, and direct conversation. I don't want people working for me that are afraid to question me. Like I want my people to come to me and tell me when I'm making a bad decision or when they have a recommendation that's actually better than the current course that we're on. That's the kind of people I want on my team. And I've always wondered being the way that you were, especially as you were transitioning, but you were still active duty at the time. Was that hard for you to ride that line, especially as you were the post of this very, very popular podcast, Soldier for Life? And then you were still building your, your brand and you were building what you were going to do for that next chapter. How did you balance those two things? 
I think for me, it wasn't that hard. I think I was very clear on what I wanted to do. And I think it was funny for me because I think the army, when they sent me to that assignment, I think they thought they're like, we're going to kill Olivia, right? Like it, her career is going to be over and, you know, we're sending her off into the corner, into the dungeon, right? Um, and I was fine with that. You know, I was like, you could stick me in the dungeon to like stamps for the last three years of my <laughs> career. I don't care because my objective at that time was because they wanted to send me off to Korea or to Egypt and separate me from my family. And I and my son at the time was like, I think, nine months old and I was still nursing him. And I I'm an older mom for that reason. I didn't want to be separated from my family. And I know there are plenty of moms that have that have you know, separated from their family, you know, they they have deployed, they've done those hard jobs, and, you know, more power to them and bless them for that. And I don't know how they did that, right. Um, I just know that I, I didn't want to be faced with that, with that question or that challenge. And it was one of the reasons why, you know, I waited for so long to be a mom. And so I was like, I will do anything to not be separated from, you know, I'm now divorced, but at that time I was married, you know, from my, you know, military spouse, he was also in the military from him and from my children. And so literally I was like, stick me in a dungeon to like stamps. I don't care. And so I think that's what the military thought. I thought, you know, the army was like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to kill our career. And that's what they told me. You're taking this job and there's no way you're going to make 06. I'm like, I don't care. I want 20 years, Lieutenant Colonel, and I'm out. But this job ended up setting me up for success. So to me, I'm like, <laughs> I kind of have the last laugh. So for me, I, for me, I was like, oh, I was all in. I'm going to ride every single day at work with a smile on my face, and I'm going to be 100% authentic. And I'm going to tell it how it is, and I'm going to be real, and I'm going to bring every single tool to work and make sure that I'm going to give every opportunity that I can to make it transparent that you can succeed as a service member in the name of the game of transition. And that's how I looked at it. And you were in the perfect position to do that because you were hosting a show that was all about transitioning. So you were able to bring it's so you it was such a unique combination, Olivia, because you were able to bring your personality, your gifts, your talents as a communicator into something that not only could help the army and people who were transitioning, but then they could also help you establish that next chapter. So people got to see in real time that you were there with them doing the same things that you were talking about. And that's a really unique place to be. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing, right? I, I did all the things we preach mm -hmm. 24 months out. You need <laughs> to start your transition game, right? Go mm -hmm. early, go often to tap and you know, your spouse mm -hmm. should be going. Right. And, and I exercised all of those things that we talked about, you know, six months prior to you leaving, you should be doing some kind of skill bridge, whether that's an internship or, or something like do something right take advantage of all these free opportunities mm -hmm. and i think where some of the disconnect in transition is that leaders both on the officer and enlisted side don't understand transition at that strategic level and what i'm saying by that is that 
they don't understand here is what I'm talking about. They don't mm -hmm. understand the emotional yeah. impact that transition has to their service members, that it is a life altering event. And they don't get it until they go through it. And then they go, man, I wish I understood this back in the day. And so I wish I was a better leader to my soldiers when they're going through it. And case in point, transitioning is such an important time in a soldier's life, right? It is, it's emotional, it's mental, it's physical. And sometimes it's so impactful to their life that it can mentally impact them to the point of suicide. And I don't say that lightly. I'm saying that from a point of, I want leaders to understand that transitioning from the military is a big deal. And that's why there's a reason why you're supposed to go to TAP 12 months before you exit the military for a reason. It's why you should allow your service members to take the time to do it right. They've given time to this nation. We should give them time to exit correctly. And here's the backside of that. If we do it right, they're going to talk about the amazing time that they had in the Army. And yes, not every day was perfect and not every day was great. But for the most part, you want them to remember the great days. And when they do that, because we're all storytellers at some level, they help with retention and recruitment. And right now, we have a problem. Very with much a problem. With a retention huge and problem. Yes. And yeah. they're our best advocate mm -hmm. to recruitment. And I just, it, it, again, it blows my mind. It goes back to what I just said earlier in the show. Why did you join the military? And if it's not to take care of your, your formation, get out, right? Get out. Yeah. No, I, I agree, Olivia. And we have a lot of people on here too that are just kind of commenting. I think this is still Mark commenting, even though it just says a LinkedIn user. And he says, always know the room, then play to the audience. That was earlier when you were talking about sort of your different uh, audiences that you have in storytelling. And I think he also says a successful officer and a great mom. You're a superhero. Oh, thank you. He says it's sad that people of color are often overlooked. It's true. And diversity and different points of view always make a team uh, stronger. Absolutely. And, and then Line Screw One, he's a YouTuber, a friend of my husband's, says hello from rainy uh, Va Vancouver. Um, and then, of course, my husband says hello as well. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think that it's it's so true olivia and i think that transition is often overlooked from the emotional and the traumatic aspects and i think what i want to ask you now is kind of about your own transition and what you felt was probably the the hardest adjustment that you had to make and, and a little bit about probably what, what would you say was probably the most painful period of that and how did you manage to walk through that so transition is hard period Right. Here I was, Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Army, U.S. Army Soldier for Life. That is in the name and game of transition. I know it all. Right. I have all the tools. <laughs> easy. Like it's going to be a walk in the park. Uh, no. Right. It was still just as hard for me. Yes, I had a leg up by knowing all the tools and all the tricks. But let me tell you, it's still 
hard because it's still going to impact you here and it's still going to impact you here. And for me, the what was layered on top of that is I went through a divorce at the same time. And, you know, transitioning, like I said, is a life altering event. It's it's you're divorcing the army, right? Everything that you know about who you are, your identity has been wrapped up in that uniform. And for me, that was 20 years, I've been, you know, said rank and name for however long, right? And here I am wrapping that up at 20 years and some months. And um, I am now getting an actual divorce. And I'd been with, um, at that time, 20 years with, with, at that time, my husband, 16 years married, but 20 years with him. So my whole entire military career was also with this person I loved. And I think it, it was unexpected, unexpected for both of us. And, you know, our love story just had come to an end. We are amicable. We are raising our children, uh, co-parenting. And, you know, he's a wonderful man and he's a wonderful, um, you know, dad. And we we get along great. And it's but it was just unfortunate. You know, it just it just happened. And when you're not when you're at that stage in your life and you didn't realize it was coming, you know, it, it shocks you to the core. And what that did to me, it found me on the floor, literally broken and shattered. And that sent me on a downward spiral really fast. And I planned my suicide. And I found um, an intimate understanding of mental health and suicide in a way that I never thought that I was going to understand. And again, U.S. Army Soldier for Life, where we understood all of the products of transition, which is employment, health and wellness, and education, where I knew all the players in the game. And I, by the time I had finally asked for help, which was very hard, right? When you're type A, aggressive, alpha person, and, and asking for help, which is extremely hard. And when I finally asked for help, and started dialing the Rolodex of services and started going through it, I, I couldn't find a service to help me. And I want to be clear, it wasn't that these services didn't want to help me, right? They knew my name when I called. They're like, you know, yeah, Olivia, I would love to help you, but we are tapped out. We might be able to get you in six months, but best case is a year. And here I am thinking, I don't even know if I have six days left in me. At the end of it all, on the backside of my storm, I realized that there's not enough military resources for our community. There's not enough when it comes to mental health for the service member, for our veterans, for our military family members, or our spouses or children, like and our caregivers. There's just not enough. And and it's just had become such a passion for me to shine a light on such a touchy subject on a very uncomfortable subject about mental health. You know, 22 a day is 22 a day for a reason, but yet we don't have the resourcing. Um, We don't have the capacity to effectively get after that. Something as simple as a resource to talk to a service member, you know, in the time of their emergency, or effectively treat them. And so 
for me, it's how can I use my notoriety, my voice, the influence that I have to shed a light on this conversation, to break the silence, to end the stigma and change some policies and get some funding towards this, right? Absolutely. I mean, it is really hard when you're in that state where you just think there's no one. Um, it, it's really hard because, you know, you watch as your friends around you, they're just living their day-to-day -day lives. And then you don't want to like be a burden on them. And so it's just, it's very difficult. I, I, I've never been suicidal, but I've been just so deeply lonely where I felt like there was just no one. And it's it's the most isolating feeling because you just don't know who to choose. You just feel like you're just this big burden, like this yep. just this, <laughs> problem. This, this big problem to everybody who who you're talking to, and you're just this emotional vampire uh, on everyone around you. And it's like, what do you do when you're in that spot and you don't have like a close family support network? And there really aren't you know, these, these, these places that can just take you and, and bring you in and, and welcome you. It's, it's a very difficult place to be. And I've often said that the, if it wasn't for 12 step self-help groups, I, I, I think I just would have been toast during some of my times. And, and, and I mean, I didn't necessarily even have, I think some of these major addiction issues that some of these steps treat, but it was the closest thing that I could find to support in those, in those, in those periods. And you're right, Olivia, there are not enough resources uh, to bring, to, 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 to help support people in their deepest and darkest times of need. There really aren't. No. Um, and especially I think in the United States, I, I see it differently in some other countries. We just don't have that communal sense. That's why I'm so into like neighborhood. I'm going to do a show with a woman who's kind of a neighborhood watch in our community back in Norfolk. And I, I think it's so important to have a sense of community, no matter whether it's the military community or your neighbors outside, because I think those kinds of ties can help prevent some of these issues that you're talking about, because that sense of community and belonging, I think was probably what you felt like in that moment you just didn't have, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. The army taught me how to be a lethal planner, right? And mm -hmm. as a planner, you find the problem, fix the problem, destroy the problem. And in my thinking it, I found myself to be the problem. <sighs> and so therefore I had to remove myself. And it, that is a lonely place to be. And, you know, you think that when you're the problem, that no one loves you and, um, you know, that, that you're a burden, right? Yes. Oh, and, yeah. And, um, and that's a, it's a tough place to be. And, and especially like when, when you are seen as the leader, when you're seen as a person that has fixed everything, when you're a perfectionist, um, you know, and, and it's hard, it's really hard to, you know, there's some ego there, there's, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that's at play. And so transition for me was really hard, you know, when you're divorcing yourself from the military and then you're going through an actual divorce in your own personal life. Um, you know, there was, I I felt like such a loser and a failure in so many ways. You know, there's this, there's this high that I'm leaving the military as a Lieutenant Colonel. Like that's such a success, right? Mm -hmm. Less than 1% is going to make it as a Lieutenant Colonel 
so there's this emotional high on that and you're like yeah i made it but then at the same time i'm like i'm such a loser i couldn't even like keep my marriage intact um and you know and then as a mom it's crushing because you see your kids who are broken and sad because their mom and dad isn't together right like how do you how do you keep that all together and um and it was it was tough and then at the same time you know i'm trying to figure out how do you how do you put your life together you know what is what is the aid the age-old question of what am i going to be when i grow up and i couldn't even think straight for a few months like my brain was literally not working um because it was so consumed with depression and anxiety and you know in my darkness and it and it took time i had to go to counseling you know i i had to i had to fix myself first right um i had to put that oxygen mask on myself first in order to 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 be able to be there for my family um so transition is is hard and you know and i'm still and it took time to get to where i am today but I had to go through all of that to be able to answer who I am today. Mm -hmm. do you, what do you credit as, as, as the way that you were able to pull yourself out of it? Was it finding those counseling services? Was it a friend who kind of stepped in? And for me, I had to talk to people every single day. Like I, I can remember, like I had to have certain girlfriends, like on the, on the phone that I could text and check in with. Cause I was just so, such a mess. And again, I, I wasn't suicidal. I was just in my, my darkest, most lonely periods. And, and I mean, it's just, it's this, it's like, you're just living hour by hour. That's how I felt during that time. And I, I and I don't know for you how it was, but what, what do you credit as, as the way that you kind of were able to d dive out of it? What were some of the steps that you took? So there's a few things. Um, one is faith, right? Uh, faith was really important. I, I did a lot of my fighting on my knees. And there was a lot of prayer. There's a lot of um, of Bible studies. Uh, there was a there was friends that checked in on me. You know, like like I said, you know, the phone calls, the texts, <laughs> and um, and I'm not gonna lie. There was a lot of me spending a lot of time in my head, and you know, behind those doors is my bedroom, and I did a lot of pacing, and a lot of just figuring out me and that's uncomfortable a lot of therapy you know I, I had three different therapists and each one was for a different reason that i went through um my family a big one is my sister right um, i remember you, you were you and i had texted a couple times back and forth and you said your sister was staying with you yep she used to live with me up until earlier this year and um you know she was a big source and um and then there were key friends that checked in on me from time to time just to make sure like are you up are you moving around are you going to come out are you going to you know i'm you're i'm not gonna take no i'm gonna swing by i'm gonna pick you up we're gonna go eat we're gonna go to the bar we're gonna do this you're gonna come paint ornaments with me <laughs> um you know just just stuff yeah. like that um and then you know so there were phases and then i think uh, you know after i kind of got through that initial uh, initial of like okay i'm I'm alive. I'm going to choose life and I'm good. Um, the next, I think, phase was purpose. 
reminding that there's purpose in life. And what is that purpose? And that key part, that pivotal part came from a friend. And, and you know, I, I and I've shared this on social media, and that's Scott Davidson. And, you know, he simply called me up. Livy, what are you doing? And, and nothing. He's like, okay, we're going to lunch. Okay. So he took me out to lunch. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I got a job. He's like, no, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. He's like, okay, what's your purpose? I don't know. He's like, when are you going to start your LLC? And I just kind of gave him this blank stare. And I've heard this before, right? When I was at Soldier for Life, everyone kept telling me, Olivia, you need to start an LLC. You know what you're doing. You have such great knowledge. And of course, you know, that's what we do. Pro bono work. We're always giving out knowledge. We're always teaching. We're always mentoring and guiding. But of course, you can't charge, right? Because we're in, we're in the military. Of course, yes, yes. And he's like, you need to start an LLC. I've got work for you. And I... It was just at the right time, at the right place, and hearing it again. I said, Olivia, I got work for you. You got purpose. And it just what I needed to hear. And he reminded me what I was good at and what I needed to do. And a week later, I had an LLC. And I was like, hey, Scott, I got an LLC. Yeah. Said, Great. I got work for you. And so I'm an ambassador for his nonprofit for Burbiz, right? And it, and it was right at the right place. And I attribute to like, he saved, you know, I say that he saved my life. It's reminding me of what I was good at, which is being a storyteller. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I mean, you need those people in your life at those, at those key moments where you're just feeling so down to kind of lift you up and, and remind you of, of who you are and, and what you're meant to do. And I think that it's a beautiful feeling to get to the place where I, I feel you are, which is, you know, yourself. You know what you bring to the table. And now it's just living day to day in that sense of purpose. And I think that that's something that you said that is so hard fought. And when you get to the place where you can do that, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful feeling. And um, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to get on that same path myself. And so I, I can definitely relate to so much of what you're saying. Because once you, you know who you are, you know why you were put on this earth and, and you have a gift that can help others, then, then it's your responsibility, it's your duty uh, to share that and to, and to use it for, for good. So that's what I want to talk about now too. Tell, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing now with like the nonprofit for, for one. I, I saw that, that you're now the executive director and tell me a little bit about that organization and what they do. So the nonprofit um, work play obsession all in is actually a nonprofit that was started by my partner a couple years ago. And um, so my, my partner is Topaz Navarro and he retired earlier this year as a Sergeant major um, after 26 years in the army. And, you know, when he retired, you know, just like many of us in the military want to give back to the community that we love, which is the military community. And it's, it's a nonprofit that, to help with healing the invisible wounds of trauma. But when you look at a lot of the nonprofits that are out there, you know, and I even said this at, in, when I was in Soldier for Life, a lot of the nonprofits key in on rightly so specific parts of whatever it is that they're working on, right? Um, you know, working dogs or mm -hmm. uh, 
equine therapy or et cetera. And then when you look at them, a lot of them help specific eras of veterans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pre 9-11, post 9-11 or whatever. And a lot of that has to do with funding. When he created the nonprofit, he realized that there is a lot of parts of the community that were left out, which is the military family part, right? The the kids, the caregivers, and the spouses. But we know that a huge part of our community that's affected by the service member's service is the backbone is that family. They're touched by the trauma. And trauma is also more than just the visible wounds, right? When we think of trauma, we always think about the person that's got the missing eye, the limb, but we don't think about the trauma that you can't see. And many of us have trauma, but you can't see it. And he's a, he's a black belt in jujitsu and he, you know, loves the outdoors and he wanted to be able to incorporate all of those themes into a nonprofit and be able to give back in a way and all of that in a way that best serves mental health. How can you, you know, heal the invisible wounds by the things that he loves. And that's what his nonprofit was born of. And when I met him um, at the time, you know, was, we're just coming out of COVID and because of COVID, you know, you're not going to do jujitsu <laughs> because you're not gonna be touching people. You're not going to be rolling around <laughs> on the mat. Yeah, right. um, and they also did some art and things like that. You know, his nonprofit kind of shuttered for a little bit. And so when we started dating, you know, we looked at it and we're like, Hey, let's kind of bring this back. And so that's kind of when I stepped back on board is how do we work together with his network and his sphere of influence and mine? And how do we work with all of the other nonprofits that we're busily working with? Right. Cause I work with a couple other nonprofits, you know, how do we work together? Because tackling mental health is, is huge, right? And it's not something that we're going to um, be able to, be able to accomplish overnight. And so his nonprofit is just something, just one small stepping stone, I think in the larger conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, for me, it's how do we use the narrative of what we're doing as partners in accomplishing what I said earlier, breaking the silence, ending the stigma and shedding a Mm -hmm. light on this conversation of mental health, you know, and ultimately, you know, getting after it. Right. And I think it, a big part of this is doing exactly what you've done tonight in this podcast, which is to share your story and to not be ashamed of the fact that you were at a stage in your life, as I've been in that stage a couple times myself, where you needed to reach out and you needed to seek help from other people. And you needed to use those resources that everyone i feel at some point in time uh either should have gotten or 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 did receive and i think one of the things that i would call upon more military leaders to do is to share their stories uh because while i feel like a lot of times in the military we 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 advocate for our junior sailors to go get treatment we don't often share with our junior sailors the times in our lives where we've sought treatment and why we sought that treatment and what what and i understand that some stories are are easier to share than others and you may not want to share everything but share what you can and what you feel safe sharing because i do believe that when you 
are vulnerable with your sailors and you show them that you too have used these resources and that you have these invisible wounds as well, it, it takes the shame away and it, it, it normalizes uh, this, the, 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 the seeking of care. And so I, I really applaud you, Olivia, for being such a senior officer in a place where you are and showing people that it's okay to put a face uh, to these issues. I mean, that takes a lot of courage and it's the right thing to do uh, to move the conversation forward. No, thank you. You know, I, I've said it before, when we share our stories, it gives breath to somebody else and the courage for somebody else to share theirs. And I, and I think there's um, a quote, you know, your, your story becomes somebody else's battle plan, right? Mm, um, I like that. I like that a lot. That's so, so true. That's so true. I probably think I'm going to remember that or write it down in my notes because um, it, it really is. I think there's only those times where you get impacted by somebody else's story and you hear it and then it just stays with you. And then you and then you, you, you see things differently. I've had that happen to me where I've heard a story and I saw a situation differently. Um, there's a guy on YouTube called Soft White Underbelly and I hear the stories of these people that would be considered degenerates, the prostitutes, the hookers, and the drug dealers. And I see them totally differently now because of this show and what the creator is attempting to show, which is the destigmatization of, of these mental health issues. And um, I think that you're you're contributing to that in in such a in such a major way, Olivia. And I like I said, I'm I'm such a fan of your work, and Thank you. I'm so happy we had this chance uh, to 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 have this discussion. Um, what what I guess what is next for you? Let, let's talk about the future and and what what do you what do you envision? Like where do you want to take your your uh, your LLC and and uh, what projects are, are are on your radar now? So for me, it's shifting into uh, being a paid speaker. Uh, so, you know, for any listener that's out there, <laughs> I'm looking for paid speaking engagements. And I think that's just, it's such a, a natural shift for me. And I, I've been a speaker all around the world. Uh, I did it for the army. And then after I left the army, I would get uh, random speaking engagements. And I, and I realized like, I'm always happy when I'm doing that. And it just dawned on me like, why am I not doing that as my job? And it's it's such an easy fit for me as a storyteller to be able to shed a light on this conversation and why not do it as my job? Um, so I, I think that's, you know, that's a focus area for me. The second focus is uh, my partner and I, you know, I announced this last year, but, you know, this thing called life comes at you. <laughs> and um, I, I've had, we've had some things kind of stalled. And we weren't as successful in launching as quickly as I thought um, based on some funding and um, the direction that I wanted to go. And this also goes back to, I had to figure out what I wanted to do with it. And it was all these things in my life that kind of had to happen to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm -hmm. And what I'm driving at is that my my second focus area is this podcast that I wanted to create with my partner. And the podcast is Calm in the Storm, the Unexpected. And it, it, it was born out of the idea of that, you know, he's, like I said, 26 years, retired, sergeant major, 20 of it in special forces. 
not special forces, special operations. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, retired officer and, you know, he was, you know, he's special operations. I'm conventional. He's enlisted. I'm officer, you know, so he's got that whole, you know, officer versus enlisted, you know, conventional versus special ops, you know, there's all these puns and all these (laughs) jabs. Um, oh yeah, someone even said something like that. They said, "Do they? Do you make him salute you?" <laughs> no, but I make him walk to the left and three steps behind me all the time. <laughs> I'm sure you hear that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like uh, you know, all of that, right? And I'm like super, like you know, organized, and he's not. I'm super, like planned, and he's like fly by the seat of his pants. Mm. I, you know. And, you know, he's like super jokey and I'm not like our personalities are like night and day difference. And, and that's the whole part of it. But the one thing is that we are both minorities, right? He is um, African-American and Puerto Rican and I'm Korean and English. And, you know, it's through the lens of being minorities in the military and how we see the military and our lived experience, the minority lived in experience. And so we wanted to share that lived experience and have these conversations and we have all these amazing conversations all the time and to be able to have these conversations and bring guests on the show and and here's the nice thing i'm no longer in uniform and have these very important conversations but punch harder right Mm. i don't have ucmj lingering over my head i don't have a uniform that's going to stop me and have um you know, these conversations where I can have it, but then I have to stop, right? I can go past yeah. that. Yep. And, uh, and, and I wanted to do that last year, earlier this year, but I, it, but I had to take a step back and figure out clearly what was the point of it and how was I going to deliver that? And I just didn't know what that route was going to look like. And it, and, and it took me figuring out what was Olivia Nunn Communications LLC and how was I going to define that? And it took me working as a government contractor for this past year and realizing that this isn't me. I need to do me and work for me full time Yep. to, to define mm. that, that storyline. And so we're regrouping, working on funding and, um, and, we're going to launch that later on um, in 23. But I think doing it right, figuring that out, I think, you know, our audience will be, uh, I think, much happier. And I think I'll be happier because, you know, we're going to do it right um, instead of rushing to failure. And, you know, and I, I think that goes back to being an officer and being super, you know, being a planner, you know, because mm-hmm. he would have been, you know. He was like, we just, just go, just go. We'll figure it out. I'm like, no, (laughs) which, you know, makes for a great conversation on the podcast. Well, I'm so excited for you guys. I really am. I can't wait to hear the podcast. And it was funny because even as you've been talking, even before you told me that you're looking for paid speaking gigs, I was going to wait until we were off the call and I was going to turn to you and I was going to say, why aren't you doing public speaking? (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's funny that you say that because as you were talking, I'm just like, I'm just picturing you on like a Ted talk stage or I'm picturing you with a mic and like at one of these, you know, women's symposium conferences that I go to or, or whatever. And I'm picturing you giving an inspiring message on so many topics. I mean, mental health, women in the military, leadership, 
I mean, there's so many things and, and ground that I transitioning. I mean, there's so many things that I feel like you really are a, uh, a seasoned expert on. And I think that the, the stages of our conferences need, need to hear your voice, Olivia. So um, I'm, I'm really excited for you and, and the next chapter uh, that you have. So for, for everyone who's watching this, I think you all know where to find Olivia. She's, she's on LinkedIn. She's on Facebook. She's on Instagram. She's, she's everywhere. You can Google. I Googled you before the show. And uh, I even listened to a little bit of your MOA podcast. I know you're a podcaster with them. You had the guy on with the sign who holds the, the, yep. the friend of yours. Oh yep. man, he's great. And yeah. uh, I, I listened to that show. So um, you're just doing amazing things. And so as we close out this uh, podcast, I want to give you an opportunity to address anything that I haven't asked you or anything else you'd like to add. No, I think at the end of the day, what is important is a couple things. One is um, if you're currently still in and you are a key leader in any position, please take transitioning to heart. Allow your service members to take the time to transition. You know, I said that when I was in as Lieutenant Colonel Nunn, and I'll keep saying that as retired Lieutenant Colonel Nunn or <laughs> Olivia Nunn. It's so important, um, you know, uh, if you follow any influencer on LinkedIn, when they talk about transition, you can also go to Michael Quinn's page. He talks about transition mm, and he'll tell wonderful. you some stories about it. Right. It, it, transition is stressful. If you don't, if you don't believe me, you don't want to listen to my antics about <laughs> it, you know, follow other influencers and they'll tell you transition is difficult. And I, we as leaders owe it to our service members to transition our service members. Right. There's very few things that we have to do right, and transitioning is one of them. I truly believe that. Um, and I think the other part is we have to end the silence, break the silence and the stigma around mental health. And um, and I think we can only do that as leaders by showing our service members that we too put on pants just like them, and we have to take time out for ourselves. You know, and that, if that means to going to behavioral health, uh, seeking therapy and our service members see us do that. Um, mm. We're not invincible. We're not superman yep. or superwoman. You know, we have to take time out. Um, you know, earlier you had mentioned about um, you know, perfectionism or, you know, trying to be people pleasers and trying to, you know, always go, go, go and give to mission. And the person that ends up, you know, giving all the time and who ends up being depleted is yourself. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is who breaks is you. And in my case, it was me over 20 years and I didn't even know it. And that's what happened. Um, it wasn't just my divorce that broke me in my mental health. It was all the things that I didn't address over my 20 year career. It was all of the things that I just kept pushing away, tucking away. You know, I was assaulted multiple times in my career. It was all of the sexual harassment that I dealt with that I never mentioned. It was all the bullshit. It's all of that that I just never thought that was affecting me. And then it just, when it when the dam broke, it broke. And, and that is something that I, when I look back and now realize that affects you. And so don't wait until it's the end of the game, right? You have to address it now before it's too late. So that's what I would say. I love it. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. 
All right, Olivia, I will definitely meet you uh, backstage here in a moment. I'm going to go on full screen, but I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys, another uh, good podcast. I'm so grateful to have Olivia on the show. Uh, we'll do another one next week. Then I'll take a couple weeks off for a little, little trip I'm taking. But I thank all of you for watching tonight. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and take care now. Bye.